Brothers and sisters, good morning again. We've come today to the Gospel of Matthew. Actually, we've been with Matthew um, for a while now. But this Gospel particularly speaks of the interactions among Jesus' disciples and followers. That would be us. And the point that Jesus is making is that it's sometimes easy to offend those in the church and in community. Members of the assembly, it doesn't matter. Sometimes we just don't listen very well, and when we're spoken to or about, we can get confused or self-righteous or easily offended, and then we say or do something that gives rise to indignation or an argument or an accusation with which offense is taken, and we refuse to listen to the simplest ways by which we could resolve a matter. Jesus knew this would happen, so he reminds us that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is with us. He's present. Actually, he gives us several teaching in Matthew's Gospels that should guide us in relationship and interactions in his church. He speaks of ethics and the law. He reminds us of our mission and what we are called to do. He speaks of building the kingdom of God and the path to heaven, the importance of forgiveness, discipline, and lastly, of future judgment. These are called the five discourses or teachings that describe our discipleship, and they're usually in parables so that we can apply them in the community of our faith. We learn about them, or we should learn about them when we're teenagers. That's part of our instruction today. As a father of three daughters who were once teenagers, I would frequently receive the eldest coming with a complaint about her younger sisters. I suggested that they first try to resolve whatever wrongdoing or offense she thought existed between themselves. And if they listened well and fairly, they wouldn't need me to resolve it. But every parent knows that when a teenage daughter does something in need of correction, there may be something more challenging at play. Could be hormones, could be heartache, even homework, perhaps. Any of them can generate conflict. What's needed is an awareness of a capacity to listen to one another. How often does that work? If a private conversation fails to resolve a matter, then Jesus says, bring it out into the open, into community. Let there be witnesses. This is how conflict and disagreement can be managed. This is Jesus at work in the world. We know that. Someone has taught us or corrected us in the community, just as we have learned from our own parents and caregivers. There is a spiritual foundation to the teaching which Jesus calls us to. It's practical when it possesses a spiritual foundation. A word of caution, though. If your teenagers are belligerent, I know yours aren't. But you're likely to be challenged with, Dad, what do you know about teenagers? I know it's hard to believe, Katie, but I was once a teenager. When there was a conflict with one of my six brothers or sisters, we tried to resolve it one-on-one. -on -one. We didn't rush out and hang our disagreements out in public. That leads to gossip, and gossip is impossible to take back. Scripture is very clear that we must avoid it. What Jesus does is he encourages that we imitate him, that we receive from him a measure of humility to influence someone with whom we may be in conflict. If that doesn't work, then one or two others are to be brought in. 
So when there are personal, social, or religious disagreements, we're called by Jesus to gather in his name, to pray and not be discouraged, to pray for those whose authority has the same spiritual goals as ours, those who we hope would respect the rights of others and offer a sense of responsibility to us. Who can forgive us as we're able to forgive others, to remember that ours is a forgiving God? When we are gathered in his name, he is with us. So many in the church and the world seem to forget that today. When we see what's happening to the church and our society in this country, and perhaps even more dramatically in Western Europe, in Germany, for example, things are not good. We're moving toward a great division, a schism, a separation in the church. If we're unable to reconcile ourselves to the foundation of Christ's love, we'll accept self-righteousness and selfishness as the only way forward. We cannot do that. Do any among us see selfishness on the cross behind me? That's humility. That's giving. The life of Jesus is a testament to sacrifice. It seems to have been replaced by those intent to glue their feet to the floor at Wimbledon or their hands to a famous painting at the Louvre to make their point. Hard times are coming when we communicate more easily with a handheld screen than with one another. In a single experience of God's grace, a human heart can be changed, shaped into the image of Christ and formed to be a saint. We have it in the spirit when we follow Jesus. There is grace for that purpose, and grace changes everything. God gives it to us that, so that we may be strengthened, inspired, and healed. We're called to make him visible to others, but that's easier said than done sometimes. We risk the loss of love when we fail to listen or speak rationally without a political agenda. God's instructions often are very hard to follow. We can boil up in resentment if we're not honest with one another. We have to go beyond ourselves. And this gospel is telling us how we ought to treat one another. It challenges us to treat one another in the face of conflict. Paul expresses it in his letter to the Romans. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, especially in the face of conflict or wrongdoing. Love is the fulfillment of the law. I was raised in the 1960s, argu arguably a time of incredible social uh, and rock and roll lyrics, quite frankly. And um, because I was very drawn uh, to the music of that era, uh, there was always a lyric in some of the songs that would come out uh, in the mid to late 60s. One of them was uh, that uh, particularly um, I was drawn to was from the Buffalo Springfield. There's something happening here. What it is isn't exactly clear. No one is right if everyone is wrong. This is the path that Jesus called his disciples to walk. They were a people in a new community of brothers and sisters. He knew, we know, that all communities and their people have shortcomings. Theirs did, ours does. We risk having them pointed out to us, but we have to find the humility to grow as disciples, to extend and receive forgiveness, and to reconcile 
When Jesus says where two or three of us are gathered in his name, he's with us. Our human nature can and often does resist that. We can attempt to resolve a uh, we can attempt to resolve a disagreement directly, and if that doesn't work, we need to invite others in community to listen and trust their perspective. We can't face our challenges alone. This is the core of the gospel message, and it's not easy to live this way. Alone, we fall short. Nevertheless, we should still aim for it. Jesus is with us. He's in the room. He's on the altar. He's present in the Eucharist. We heard in the psalm that if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Paul's letter to the Romans counseled those who wish to follow Jesus to love one another. Teenage sisters, my daughters, those whom, with whom we work, are we loving one another as we should? We need to ask ourselves that regularly daily. What should we do? We should do no evil to our neighbor. Love does not. If we are truly gathered in the name of Jesus, it cannot. The love of Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. That is the message of reconciliation and of his sacramental presence among his people in the Eucharist. We are gathered here today in his name and with his grace. He is with us. That's his promise. And if we believe that, let's try to live it, one encounter at a time. Amen.